See Sweet and Sour, powered by Align, the podcast where we talk about the sweet and not-so-sweet sides of leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of See Sweet and Sour. I'm very happy and privileged to host Warner Moore. How are you today? Doing well, Philip. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's, 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 good, it's good to have you. A little bit about Warner. Warner Moore is a strategic executive leader and manager in technology and information security. He has worked with technology-centric entrepreneurial growth organizations and has built successful cybersecurity programs and high-performing teams who, impra- who embrace DevOps culture and practices. After building security and privacy capabilities for numerous organizations across industries at companies such as Cover My Meds and Bull Penguin, Warner founded the cybersecurity strategy firm Gamma Force. Through Gamma Force, Warren serves as a virtual CISO. For those who don't know what the acronym is, Chief Information Security Officer, multiple companies, and advises startups to scale them through concept and growth phases. Again, Warner, thank you very much for being here. And I, I think I, I mentioned, did I say Warren or I, I, did I say Warner? Did, did I say it right? Did I throw in Warren? You did a sneak of Warren in there. Okay, I'm sorry. So to be clear, everybody, it's Warner, not Warren. I'm blaming my sinus cold right now. I don't know if anybody hears it or not, but I'm a little stuffy and I'm, I'm going to blame it on that because I just feel like it. So I, I just want to get into it. Uh, Warner, I, how did you get started in cybersecurity? That's, uh, let's start with that one. Oh, shoot. I, I was super nerdy. And I, I joke sometimes that I help build the internet. And it, it's a little bit of a joke, but only to a point. I, I was working with internet technologies in the very early days of the internet before many folks had even heard of it. Yeah. And back then, security was one of those things that some folks in the field like to play around with. So while I, I've been a technologist, a big part of my career, security was always a big part of it as well. It's, it's, again, I, I, I technically have a software engineering background. Do I code? No, I do not. I stepped away from that. For those who've, who've been listening, I've said it multiple times. Those who know me as well, I finished my degree and I was like, this is not what I'm doing. I do appreciate the knowledge that I gained from it. So I can speak to somebody who is a developer at somewhat at their level, obviously not at their level. <laughs> They're a little bit probably higher than me, but I can't have a conversation with them about how things work. It's a different type of person when it comes to somebody who is, their, their thought process is, is a developer than it is, for example, a marketer, right? And my question to you, and, and we're going to get into cover my meds in a second, but how is it working in the field where everybody around you is IT and development? And how does that, how do those conversations go? Because I'm, I'm assuming they're different. Yeah, it's interesting. I've spent my career on the bleeding edge of technology, and that's by design. I really enjoy pushing the envelope of innovation. And those who are a big part of pushing that envelope are frequently strong engineers. At least the past 20 years, technology has been a major driving force for a a lot of changes in our culture and society as humans, right? Yep. And shoot, I've been working with and been one and I've been hiring engineers well over a decade. And I I 
found that certain personality types favor certain parts of the technology profession yeah. more than others. And being able to speak to somebody on their level and, and not diminish what they're doing, I, I think is so important, right? I, yeah. in, in culture, it's so common to speak less or talk down to somebody who's an expert in the field. And shoot, experts are who build the things we use every day. And I, I, I like to joke sometimes that the folks I, I work with run the internet and half the time it's really not a joke. Right? <laughs> These folks run the internet. I, I, I value as smart people who are good at what they do. And I, I think that's, there are smart people across all, all fields. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. And my, and my, so when it comes to talking with them, because I know with, with marketing, emotion is a big part of, of understanding marketing, understanding people, the psychology of things. So there is a lot like me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional person, probably more than I am. Like there's logic into a lot of things that I say, but also there's a lot of emotion as well. And, and, and a lot of times, not a lot of times, but someone can argue very well, in my opinion, that emotion and logic kind of clash. Because when you want to, when you feel something makes sense, doesn't necessarily mean that it makes sense, which is why I always say, let the market decide if something's good or not. And that's why I have to test things. I have a feeling you can't really, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but how much is emotion a part of a conversation when it comes to let's get things done in a development a forum or atmosphere is 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 there emotion involved <laughs> i i'd say certainly not at least not on average I, I mean we're all people of course i'd say most of us if not all of us <laughs> have emotions right software engineers it tend to be very analytical and yeah. are often introverted so having the space to analyze and think through a problem and apply themselves uh, that's often very important in other fields of engineering, it's often more fact-based and detail-based. So being able to understand and speak to the complexities of a system or enable those who do in a way that is supportive, I think is super important. Yeah. Yeah. You need, you need, to, keep, you need to keep an open mind, understand how somebody who is probably more introverted than others uh, kind of how their mind works and let them do their thing. And that's something that I believe is very important for leaders today, which comes to my next thing. You have become that, those, th that type of leader, right? You, you've, you've moved from, you know, being that developer and, and being in the cutting edge of things to growing a business and leading a business and leading departments and consulting and all those types of things. Do you feel that you've, I don't, again, I don't know if you're, if you're always like you are right now, or have you shifted as you've grown into this new position, has your mindset changed a little bit when speaking to people and, and being in that, in that space and talking to people that aren't necessarily, or probably not right. Their average CEO is probably not a, a product person. Yeah. It, it's well, a, a couple of things I, I like to say is I, I like building things and, and I like complex systems. So mm -hmm. A big theme in my life is building things. Was it technology? Was it companies? Was it teams? It's been all those things. Mm -hmm. I, I, at a certain point in my career, reinventing the same wheel with new technology, 
for those who have been in the technology field. And there's uh, similarities in other fields as well. Yeah. Uh, where we solve the same problem in similar ways, but the tools change. And that reached a point where it became less interesting to me. And one thing I, I like to joke about is the humans are some of the more sophisticated machines we know. And not only are people fairly complex, the systems we build and the organizations we work in are, are complex as well. So there was a point in which I, I found that building things and solving problems from a, a different angle became more attractive to me. And admittedly, there's been a, a lot of learning along the way. It didn't come easily. I often caution both managers and technologists about for either forcing some an engineer, your best engineers into management roles mm -hmm. because it's a different feel. It's essentially like starting a career over. And it, yeah. it's not, if you want to make the tech decision, stay as that engineer role. Yeah. It's a very different path. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I agree with that. And I think there's something that a lot of people and not only people, but a lot of companies need to, I believe, need to understand that being an individual contributor, because that's what that's what I call somebody who's not a manager, right? Somebody who's doing something that's doing the actual work doesn't mean you should be getting paid less, right? Because there's this, 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 this kind of concept that you have to be a manager, you have to be the VP, or you have to be director to be paid a lot of money because only they make all the money and like the workers are getting like crap and, you know, they're whatever. I, I believe that it it shouldn't be that way. If somebody's strong as an individual contributor and they're okay with being an individual contributor, pay them. Pay them as much as, no, not as much as they want, but as much as you can to make them feel comfortable in that position so you don't lose them. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is they get their experience and they go to like Google or whatever and they get that money, right? Instead of sticking with you when you could have had somebody who's, now, right now, an engineer, Google engineer, right? So that's kind of my, that's, that's my outset. How do you feel? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I like <laughs> parallel career paths a lot. It's funny. We often attribute that to Google or other large marquee tech companies. And yeah. I, when I, I looked into it some years back, I, I believe IBM was the first organization to introduce parallel career paths for managers and engineers. A challenge some organizations have is engineers peak out in their compensation and yeah. career progression because of the way the organization is structured. And to move up in those organizations, they had to move to management roles. And, and coming back to the earlier point, that's yeah. to no one's advantage. And in the companies I, I've been helping build for many years now, it was something we embraced fully at Cover My Meds, is that someone could progress throughout their career in an engineer role. And the thing is, it, even though it often doesn't necessarily involve 
people management. And I was chatting with the engineering manager buddy not so long ago, where a principal or staff engineer role, even though it's individual contributor, it's often an organizational leadership role. Mm -hmm. And for somebody to move from a senior engineer to say a staff or principal engineer, I'm usually looking at the impact they make. Are, are they helping their peer, peers be better? Are they driving organizational change? Are they establishing standards of practice? And mm -hmm. even then, that's often a different skill set. Communication is, well, frankly, good for anyone in any role being skilled at communication. Mm -hmm. But to be at that High, high, often highest level engineer role, it, it requires an emphasis on communication. But the thing is, right, I, as organizational leaders creating arbitrary constraints, so, well, do we want them, our best team members, to run off to another company? I, I certainly don't. Hey, C Sweet and Sour listeners, it's Haley here from Align. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to jump in with some exciting news. We have a new limited time promotion for listeners. You can get 10% off your first year of the Align software with the promo code NOTSOUR10. Align is a strategic planning and execution management software designed to help businesses achieve their goals faster. To get started, go to aligntoday.com demo and complete the form to book your demo today. Again, the code is NOTSOUR10. Now back to the episode. Love it. I love, I love how you broke that down too. And that's, that's great. And, and, you know, touching onto that, touching on that, you played a big role in, in Cover My Meds, right? They're ARA now, I believe they ended up selling for like 1.4 billion. Was it something like that? You got the number right. It's often misattributed at 1.1 and there was yeah. 300 million tied to some performance over years, but it was 1.4. Yeah, I, I was super early with the team there. Depending on, on the map, we're about a 20 or 30 foot. Not on the precipice between startup and growth mode. And we yeah. quickly went into growth mode. And you know, well, joining the company so young, I held many hats during my nearly four years there. It's funny that 20 to 30 folks, we went up to 500 in less than four years. I'd been with growth companies before, but the speed of that growth was unmatched and uh, frankly is so uncommon, even in growth companies. It was a great ride. What do you think was different there? People, culture, our leadership. We lived our uh, how we made decisions by our values in the organization. Okay. We looked at people as our competitive advantage and we not only empowered them, we treated them well. And we had a lot of success at hiring the best folks in their respective fields. And we did so consistently during my time there. Was it easy? Did you have any rounds? Did you, did you have any VC rounds or anything, any series that helped you buy or was it just straight up bootstrapping? We were largely bootstrapped, depending on who, who you talk to. But in the internal perspective, we were largely bootstrapped. We had some early friends and family and small capital, but we were built out of a development consulting shop called Innova Partners. So that was a successful firm that was okay. driving revenue and profitability. And that helped 
that that source of capital helped. And I, honestly, I'm I'm glad we were because we had to solve some very challenging problems: the multi-sided market and how to monetize. Yeah. And those sorts of problems in a VC portfolio are often shied away from. And if you are burning cash trying to solve a problem for a couple of years, it's often easy to start targeting less strategic objectives to generate revenue or get market traction. But being able to largely chart our own journey helped us really build a sustainable business, at least to the point that it was attractive for a big acquisition. I noticed when you mentioned the three things that you mentioned, you never mentioned product as one of the things that probably helped. Is that, was that purposeful or was that a Freudian slip? Or... <laughs> well, people are product, right? So product was important. We were a technology company and we right. looked at ourselves as such. And our ability to build a product was what really created the opportunity for the company. But we didn't have a product organization through most of our early growth stages. Interesting. And a lot of the product strategy was driven by one of our founders, Matt Scantlin, but we also had a lot of engineers driving a lot of product strategy. Which is not to say that we didn't have people in product hats. I, I think we often glamorize the product versus engineer org structures and tech. And for many organizations, it's key, right? Because if comp engineers are just building things, not considering what the market wants, well, burn time, money, and maybe not actually build a business around it. Mm -hmm. um, but we were a mission-based business focused on solving a problem. And certainly product was a part of that, but we didn't really frame it that way. So that's partly why I don't talk about it in that way is just because of how we worked when we were building the company. 90% of businesses fail. 10% don't. Here's why. Plans fail when you don't have the right systems and software in place. This is why we built Align, a strategic growth management software that allows you to share real-time updates and eliminate miscommunication. Align is an easy-to-use, cloud-based software with features like daily huddles, KPI dashboards, software integrations, and so much more. You can see your company's priorities, critical numbers, goals and tasks while holding everyone accountable. And all this in the palm of your hand with our mobile app. So what are your next steps? It's simple. Learn more about Align by requesting a demo at aligntoday.com. Let us make sure we land you in that 10%. Align, achieve big goals faster. I want to ask, how, because it's different with developers, how, how, do you, how do you manage burnout with developers? I, I think that's very personal. I, I had burnout a few times in a relatively short span of time early in my career and uh, took a lot of lessons from that. And, well, we, we need to take care of ourselves, right? We need to eat. We need to sleep. We need to have more than one thing, work, or in our lives. And yeah. 
I, I see those warning signs pretty quickly. It, and it's often really personal. Some of my team members are just super driven and dedicated and they work a bunch and that's fine I, if they want to. I, I make it clear that I'm not asking them to do that. And I often strongly encourage them to take time off and make sure they're taking care of themselves. I, I, I like to say that entrepreneurship, a career is a marathon and not a sprint. And well, you need to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I feel you there. It's, it's just like, you know, being going to the gym, you can't just go straight up and just push those, the, the amount of plates that you see some other guy who's most likely 10 or 20 times stronger than you because they've been doing it for the last 10 years. Right. And they look huge and everything and expecting to, to lift those weights. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't work out. So it's the same thing in everything in life, basically, including, including entrepreneurial career. The reason, the reason why I'm asking you specifically about, about developers, is because, because of the fact that they're less, again, not always, but they're, they're, they're slightly less connected to their emotional side. And they kind of, from my experience, drown themselves in work. And I, I feel that a lot of times there's this kind of expectation from somebody who's a developer to not care that they work so much, right? Do, do, you, do you feel that kind of stigma where they're, you know, the, where you see like movies and stuff like that, where they're drinking the Red Bulls for like four days, they haven't, they don't, don't drink. It's, it's very, very similar, like gamer, gamer mindset or how they, how they do their thing. They just game for 48 hours and they forget that they have to eat or sleep. I see that a lot in the, in the, in the tech side of things. So it's good that you're, you're, you're on top of it. Am I, am I completely off or. Well, I, I think stuff like that's very personal and people are different. The, I, I find that at a certain point of experience, folks tend to be more well-rounded if they don't, right, it burn out on something and maybe never come back to it. Right. And at a certain age, years of experience, folks often have families and uh, it's important to prioritize whole life. Not everyone's good at that, but it doesn't make it any less important. I think it's just super easy for organizations, people, managers to take advantage of folks who are that driven and passionate about something. Yeah. yeah. And well, it's to no one's advantage, right? Burn your people out, you're going to lose them. Again, a marathon and not a sprint. And got to take care of yourself, got to take care of your team, your colleagues. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you a little bit about AI. As somebody who is, you're the first person I'm asking that is very tech oriented. I'd like to, like, how do you feel everything from GPT chat to all these really, all these other, there's some that are pretty incredible technologies that are coming out there when it comes to AI. How do you feel about this? Is this just a fad? Is this going to become, is this the next crypto or is this the next dot-com bubble that will pop, but it'll just come right back? <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I, I remember the dot-com bubble. Yeah. And there were, organizations with no business, no product, and they were getting substantial investment. Yeah. I remember this company called Virginia Lynch, <laughs> no, no business, no product, got millions and millions. And well, that was near the end of the 
bubble and, and they popped <laughs> clearly. So uh, that level of speculation and irrational exuberance is a more fundamental issue. I don't think is unique to the tech sector. Yeah, We always have technology that's early and many things go on different life cycles. I remember, shoot, probably close to 30 years ago, you know, I was working at a science center, volunteering there, and we had this virtual reality, this huge professional setup, expensive. It was 3D rendered, but blocks with no texture. Yeah, I remember detail. that. <laughs> so VR is not new. It's just the level of evolution has come much further. But if we look at the application of VR in our lives, well, we still haven't figured that part out. And the same can be said about AI and machine learning, at least that it's not new. But what we're seeing now is the evolution of the technology to a point where it's solving problems that are easily relatable. Right. And there is a ton of opportunity and I think it'll do a lot of good for us as society, our, our companies, the things we're trying to do. And it's neat that the technology is to that point. I, I think that whenever a technology gets to that level of maturity, it can make a huge impact and it's really just how we choose to solve it. I, these days I, I get more excited about solving problems as opposed okay. to just the latest novel technology because okay. there's always something out there, but what are we doing with it, right? Do you see this solving a problem to a point where people need to figure out what their new job is? Well, I, in entrepreneurial circles and tech circles, I, I just, it hasn't even been that long, right? Maybe a couple months. It has Time isn't my best thing, but so a couple months since it's been, it's been, it's been an, it's been an aggressive couple of months. Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. So I, I know all these folks playing with it and I, a lot of people applying it in their businesses. Funny anecdote. I, attended a leadership meeting for a community organization. One of my nonprofit works with the Cloud Nirvana here in Columbus. And the leader of the organization gave a speech that Chet GPT wrote. And it was a good speech, right? And, it, and we have so many anecdotes like that. So I, I believe there's always opportunities for those who apply technology to solve real problems. I believe that there's always opportunities for skilled, smart humans who apply themselves. Roles change, companies change, industries change, but there's always opportunity for us all. All right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like in every piece of technology since humans have been humans, there's always the people that hate the fact that something is new because they're afraid of something will happen to their jobs. Yeah, just like that, right? Everything from the wheel to to cars, to, to the internet, to everything. It's just kind of, I jump, I kind of jumped ahead there a bit in the, in the scale of the timeline scale. But yeah, I, I remember hearing stories about the fact that like books were a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Like, 
<laughs> I, I'm looking to my bookshelf. There's a, a book that talks about convergence of technologies and exponential change. And that's really what we're seeing right now, a convergence of technology driving change at a pace in certain fields that we didn't see before. So I, I embrace change, right? Yeah. yeah. Change for me is movement. And if you don't move, you die. Like if we're going to go down to like the basics of it, if, if you don't move, you die. As somebody who's, who's it's one of the first things I heard doing some specific classes in, in, in the military, it's, it's things that you, it's, it's things that you hear and it, it's, it's, it's incredible how everything in life connects and is all, it, it makes sense to other aspects of life. And yeah, if, if you're not willing to change, that's a problem. That is a, that is definitely a problem when it comes to risk management. I want to talk about that a bit, especially what's happening right now with the pandemic. And I've heard things like we're going into recession this summer. So for those that are listening from when we're recording this, it's, it, we might, they might hear this in the summer. So I, I hope this isn't a, this is not a fortune to be told that, you know, that comes true. But a lot of people are saying now that this, that there's something happening right now. How do you, how do you have a conversation about, about risk management in these types of situations? I always drill down to the risk formula and this is in the cybersecurity version. Yeah. I I've seen mount, mountaineers talk about life threatening events in the wilderness and they used a similar formula, but different words. So I, I think it's fairly universal and, and there are three things. One is asset, something of value. The other is a vulnerability and the third is a threat if we don't have all three of those things risk doesn't exist right we like to throw the word risk around a lot but if there's no asset nothing of value why is the risk if there's no threat no one wants it why again no risk if there's no vulnerability no way to break in well no risk. So uh, th framing risk in those terms, I, I think is very important. And in, in the work we do at Gamma Force, there are two key parts that form the cybersecurity strategies we build. And the first is the business. What are the business drivers? Can we align to the business strategy? Can we create business value in the products we're building? And then what does the market expect in our industry for the services or products we're offering? So mm -hmm. business is a big one. And the second is risk. And those two things are what drive the strategies we build. And well, cybersecurity, and there's a lot of scary things out there and more threats than there ever been. Never enough time, money, resources. So we can't solve all problems all the time, all right. at once. Yeah. So frame it in risk and we can prioritize re resources accordingly. Love it. Love it. A few more things before we start closing up. One, I want to talk to you about how do you see the IT and cyber, cybersecurity niche heading? Where do you think, where do you think it's going to evolve to? You know, that's really difficult to say. I, <laughs> I saw a PhD present at 
at cybersecurity executive forum I, I attended not that long ago. And he was essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, talking about redefining the problem. And so making vulnerabilities not matter. Mm. And, and I, I thought that was really novel, right? And where we are now isn't where we will be later. I don't think there is an obvious solution or evolution for where we're going. But what is obvious is that threats are increasing and they're well-funded and have a lot of time in many cases. So how do we protect the things we want to protect the most? And well, not only framing and risk, but how do we protect the things we want to protect the most? And we spend a lot of time, in my opinion, on things that don't matter. And the things that introduce the most vulnerabilities, workstations, people, phishing, you know, easy, relatable things, easily relatable. Well, change the paradigm, protect the thing we want to protect the most in a way that those factors aren't applicable. I, I, I mostly don't care about endpoints in the environments that are built in the most, the way that can mo most protect the thing we want to protect the most. So workstations can easily get to it. it it's protected from the internet in general. Zero trust is something we like to throw around a lot and yeah <laughs> security so it's a version of that i often stay away from that term because it's lost a lot of context over time it has it has especially with crypto <laughs> zero trust in crypto has become this thing where yeah just just so i can kind of wrap my head around it as well everything from for example in so instead of cutting yourself off the off from the internet which is something that you can't always do would things be like these extra firewalls or extra procedures when it comes to when you are asking for information and information needs to be received back? Is it kind of like not fake information, but like headless information? Would that be, is, is that the direction that that person's talking about? Are you, are you, are you thinking, thinking of, cause I know in marketing, that's what's happening. Yeah, honestly, I, I thought it was really theoretical. Okay. I, I thought it was a fun thought experiment, but I don't see it being practical in the work we're doing right now. However, I think that thought experiment is useful for those who are building things. So with a lot of life critical systems, airplanes, we build in a lot of redundancy and contingencies. So if we think of the things we're building where vulnerabilities don't matter, how do we build them differently? So theoretical, yes, but I, I do think it's a fun thought exercise. Yeah, you got me thinking though. <laughs> <laughs> interesting okay 
if you were to meet yourself y- yourself five years younger, let's just let's just go a little farther. Let's go fifteen years younger. What would you tell yourself, and what things you learned to kind of make sure that person goes through their process a little quicker, probably maybe with a little less headache? It's <laughs> a fun question. I, I'm pretty future forward. I I don't <laughs> spend a lot of time on the past or reanalyzing time that's gone. I I appreciate the journey I've had and the opportunities I've had and the lessons I've learned along the way. There are times where it could have been less stressful, I I suppose, but learned just as much in those times as in the easier times. So I, I don't, outside of maybe a clever anecdote, like back to the future, giving a history of investment performance <laughs> the future to my past self, but that would be more speculative. And I, I don't like speculating and investing or in many other things in life. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure I have any great advice for my past self. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, the way, well, the way I'll take it is it's not that you don't necessarily have anything, but because you enjoyed, you enjoyed and you appreciated the experience you don't want to tell yourself anything because you want you still want to go through those experiences correct me if i'm wrong i think that's a fair representation philip all right there you go i like i like that i like that i always talk about the fact that l is not is not a loss it's a learning experience right so i i I appreciate that for sure focus on the things we control right certainly reflect uh, along the way but over analyzing the past is not something i do all right Love it. That's, it's not a bad way to look at things. Yeah. (laughs) Fix the things we can control. I love it. All right. On that note, Warner, thank you very, very much for being here. I hope everybody else who's listened to this episode has enjoyed themselves. A reminder, anybody who listens to this podcast, we have a promo code for a line, not sour 10, which is 10% off the first year of subscription. If you found this episode, if you found anything particularly interesting in this episode, you feel your colleagues may enjoy. Don't be shy. Sharing is caring. There's a very easy share button every single platform we're on. So feel free to do so, especially on LinkedIn. Yeah, Warner, that's a wrap. Thank you very much. Anything else you want to tell anybody where they can find you if, if they need anything, want to talk to you? Thanks so much, Philip, and all of you for your time listening today. If I can help, hit me up on LinkedIn, Warner Moore, or hello at gammaforce.org. Always happy to chat. All right. Amazing. Amazing. So like I always like to say at the end, everybody else, we're done listening. So let's get shit done. (laughs) Have a good one. Take care. Bye.